Well, we're going to read the Bible together now, and we're turning to Isaiah chapter 40. We've been tracking our way through this chapter over the past few Sunday mornings here in church, and we're finishing this little series this morning. We're going to read Isaiah chapter 40, and we're going to begin at verse 18. Our focus this morning will be on verses 27 to 31, but we're going to read from verse 18 just to remind ourselves of the context of this passage a majestic passage which tells us a whole lot about uh, who God is and uh, of what he's done. And uh, we're going to pick up our reading, verse 18, Isaiah chapter 40, it's page 600 of the Pew Bibles, page 600. And as we read this part of the Bible together, we remember what it says in verse 8 of this chapter, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So we pick up our reading in Isaiah 40, verse 18. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts it for silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth, when he blows on them and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see, who created these? He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? And my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this morning. Let's pray for a moment before we look at the Bible together. Lord, as we've already thought and prayed this morning, <clears throat> this is a, a busy day, a distracting day, lots to do, lots to think about, lots to plan. But we pray that in these moments that you would help us to come to you, to focus on you, and that you might come to us by your spirit as we open your living and active and eternal word. Lord, we remember what verse 8 of Isaiah 40 says, the grass withers, the flower fades, the things of this world will pass away, but the word of our God, your word, will stand forever. 
Lord, help us to think about the final verses of Isaiah 40 this morning. Help us to apply them to our situations, our lives, and help us to look to Christ. Help us to remember his coming, to remember the reason for Advent and for all of the celebrations. Lord, be with us in these moments, we pray, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You'll find Isaiah chapter 40, uh, the passage that we're looking at this morning, on page 600 of the Pew Bibles, page 600. And as always, you'll find it really helpful to have that passage open in front of you. Uh, We're finishing this little Christmas series on Isaiah 40 this morning. Uh, We've been walking our way through this magnificent chapter. We spent two Sunday mornings on it, and this is our third. And we're looking at the final few verses of the chapter, uh, verses 27 to 31. Christmas is a time of year when strange stories make the headlines, and this year has been no different. I've got two two for you today, one this morning and one this evening. Uh, This morning it's all about Christmas crackers. Uh, Have you got your crackers? If you haven't at this point, you're probably not going to have any, sorry to tell you. But there's the Christmas tradition of pulling crackers before you tuck into your turkey and ham. And one of the unmistakable sounds of that tradition is the crack, the sound the cracker makes when you pull it. You pull it and there's a snap, a crack, and then you share the joke inside with everyone and after that comment on the useful little gift that you'll never use but that you've just won. Uh, This year's festivities face starting without a bang as traditional snaps have been taken out of some crackers to make Christmas more environmentally friendly. Uh, One of the biggest catering suppliers er announced earlier in December that it would only be offering crackless crackers to its customers. The company has dropped Christmas crackers with silver fulminate strips and says that its crackers will have the audible crack of cardboard instead. The new crackers come with a note that urges users to make some noise before informing them that their cracker is fully recyclable. There's an early review of these crackers. Someone who was out for lunch in London was given a crackless cracker. He said the silver fulminate free crackers were, wait for it, rubbish and he and he he said it felt like when you pull a cracker and they don't crack you just think it's broken so they're rubbish so somebody commenting on the news story online summarized the whole thing pretty well they said a cracker that does not crack is not a cracker a cracker that does not crack is not a cracker and it's a strange story and my guess is that crackless crackers won't be a big hit this year But it's a story that helps us ease our way into thinking about the final part of Isaiah 40 this morning. What we've seen in our two studies on this chapter is that it contains God's message of comfort. The the occasion, occasion for the message is the failure and sin of God's people. The content of the message is that God will save them and rescue them. The question God's people had was, can he keep the promises he makes? Will he be able to save them and provide comfort to them? The, the, the resounding answer we're given is yes, because he's the wise and watchful creator. He's the immense and active Lord, and he's the only God. But a follow-up question is, does God really want to? Does he really want to keep his promises and rescue and comfort his people? The, the final part of this chapter deals with that question. And to summarize it, to, to summarize what we have in verses 27 to 31, we, we, we might say, just like the person commenting on that cracker story, A God that does not want to is not a God at all. A God that does not want to is not a God at all. That's because the end of this chapter tells us and shows us that he does want to keep his promises because he is faithful, 
he's powerful, and he's compassionate. The, the end of this passage is more than likely very familiar to us. The, these verses are the kind of verses that you send to people who are going through hard times. They're the kind of verses that you put on an artsy picture and hang up on your wall at home. How, how can we describe this familiar, well-known section, though? It's the end of this majestic chapter, but as a passage, what is it? Well, we can say two things. First of all, it's deeply theological, and then secondly, it's wonderfully pastoral. That's going to be our outline this morning. We're going to see how deeply theological this section is, but also how wonderfully pastoral it is too. And what we'll find, I think, is that there's more than enough crack, more than enough snap in this passage to help us stay faithful to the Lord Jesus this Christmas. First of all then, verses 27 to 31 are deeply theological. In the same way that you might jump into the deep end of a swimming pool, so we're jumping into the deep end of theological thought and doctrine. And this point really centers on what we read in verse 28. It says, Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. What a rich verse this is. It tells us four things about God's greatness. Everything that matters in life hangs on who God is. What are we told? Well, he's eternal and everlasting. The Lord is is the everlasting God. You and I are locked inside a narrow little slot called right now. It's shortly after 12 on Sunday, the 24th of December, 2023. The present moment is all that we experience, but God is not confined to time. In his, in his sweeping eternality, God is, is equally present to all points of time at once. That's one of those kinds of things that messes with your head a little bit. God is always out ahead of us. He never has to catch up. But it means that we shouldn't panic if things aren't falling together according to our deadlines. God is working out his purpose in his own way at his own pace. He's eternal and everlasting. He's also the creator of the ends of the earth. There's not a single square inch of the earth that is unknown to God or or lying beyond the range of his presence. Anywhere life takes us, whether to Babylon in exile, where the first readers would have been, or to a lonely hospital bed, God will always be there for us. We lie in his grace and power at all times, everywhere. Eternal and everlasting, the creator of everything, he does not faint or grow weary. That's the third thing we're told about God. He is always at work. He doesn't faint or grow weary. He's always at work. Now we tire daily. We get up in the morning fresh as daisies, but by 10, 11, 12 at night, We're tired. We need nourishment and rest every day. We spend about a third of our lives sleeping in bed, recouping our strength, and then we die. But God does not need restoration. He is inexhaustible. In any given event in your life, he is actively accomplishing about 10,000 things you aren't even aware of. And he never grows tired or weary, but is forever fresh and always alert, always able. And then he's wise beyond measure. His understanding is unsearchable. In other words, we can't figure out God. We can, of course, know him because we have our Bibles, but we can't fully comprehend him or fully understand him. We often try to find a deepened insight into the meaning and purpose of events, and it's good to do that and trace the movements of his hands in our lives. But for every event that we can interpret, there are dozens of mysteries that we can't. That's, why verse, that's what verse 28 is saying. 
Life is often bewildering to us, but it isn't bewildering to God. There are depths to God's wisdom that we can't access. If our lives are not exactly the way we would like them to be, we can be sure they are precisely the way God wants them to be. They might not be the way we want them to be, but they're precisely the way God wants them to be. He knows what he's doing. He knows where we're going. And we don't live by explanations in that God explains what's happening to us. We live by promises. We, we, we don't figure God out by our brains. We submit to him by faith. Uh, Isaiah 40 ends in this deeply theological way. God, God is eternal and everlasting. God is the creator of everything. God is always at work. And God is wise beyond measure. A deeply theological view of God is, is really important, especially in our superficial, low-detail generation. People like sound bites and one-liners rather than long-winded explanations. But it's not possible to describe God in a sound bite. The Bible just won't allow us to do that. It gives us too big a view of him. The Bible as a whole is, is deeply theological. And specifically, that, that's what the end of this passage is. But as well as that, it's also wonderfully pastoral. Now, we should note the connection between our two points. There's no doctrine that is not pastoral. The problem sometimes is that people explain the doctrine in more detail than they do the pastoral implications. And we're going to try and avoid that mistake this morning. Now, how is the ending of Isaiah 40 wonderfully pastoral? It's deeply theological, but secondly, it's, it's wonderfully pastoral. We'll look at verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak over, speak over, speak over Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by God? Now, what is this verse saying? Well, what, what, what are God's people asking? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Remember, this passage would have been written to and for Jewish exiles in Babylon. They, they would have felt abandoned by God. They would have been thinking and asking, the direction of my life well, I might as well have fallen off the edge of the earth. Where is God when I need him? He demands so much of me, but that doesn't even lift a finger to help me. In a very real way, many of us are thinking or asking similar things. 2023 was not the year I expected it to be. It has been the most challenging year of my life, and it, it feels like God has left me to it. But the wonderfully pastoral answer to those struggling in the faith, to those struggling to understand why they've gone through what they've gone through is the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. The point Isaiah is trying to make is that if God created the whole world, then nothing in the world can stop his good purposes. The, 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 the one who created the light of 10,000 stars can shine his light even in the darkest of places. We might not be able to understand how he's working for our good any more than we can understand how he created all things with a word. But God isn't limited by what we can understand. And that's actually very comforting. So this Christmas, if you're asking, where is God when I need him? Why have I been through what I've been through? You should turn back to the deeply theological truth in this passage because it's wonderfully pastoral too. There's more wonderfully pastoral wisdom for us though, that those who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. Just look at verses 29 to 31. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. 
But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Well, what beautiful words for weak and weary believers. Verses 29 to 31 are telling us not to look within ourselves for strength. They're telling us not to look to our own resources for help. Instead, we're to wait for the Lord. He, he is the one who gives power to the faint and the one who increases our strength. When we're bewildered with life, when we're tempted to lie down and give up and say, I am done with this, he says, come on, I'm with you. There's a quick fire illustration in verse 30. Youths, young men shall fall exhausted. The young man in me tells me that I can do anything and everything. The reality is that I get tired and you get tired. But, they, but those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. Now, what does that mean? What does that look like? To wait for the Lord. Well, it means to live in confident, eager suspense. It means to live with the tension of promises revealed, but not yet fulfilled. It's the expectation that God will fulfill his promises to his people one day. So some of you here this morning are young people. Some of you don't have time to wait, or so you think. Listen to those of us who are older. Wait on God. He is worth the wait. What he has promised, he will give you one day. You should wait upon him, trust him, rest in him, and not run after what the world offers. Those who wait for the Lord will, will soar like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll, they'll walk and not faint. The point here is that the Lord is, is the one who keeps us going. The, the Christian life is, is not a trudge to the finish line, even though it feels like that sometimes. The reality is that we are carried by the Lord as one on eagles' wings. This is the reality for those of us who believe, not because we're strong, but because of who God is. We grow faint, but he doesn't. So we've got to wait on him. This Christmas, through the busyness, stop and wait on him. Study his word. Speak to him in prayer. Stop chasing the wind. Stop running around like the world is going to grind to a halt. This is wonderfully pastoral. The, the, the one who created the light of 10,000 stars can shine his light even in the darkest of places. And those who wait for him, those who trust him, who rely on him, will be renewed and will have strength and will soar like eagles. The, the, there's one more pa wonderfully pastoral lesson or truth in this passage, and it's that God doesn't get weary. He does not, he, he does not grow faint or grow weary. Do you ever get weary? I'm fed up with Christmas. I'm tired of buying presents. I'm tired of organizing food. I'm tired of pleasing people. Tired of listening to you, Stephen. I'm weary of you. We get weary all the time. Weary of people. Weary of life. But he does not faint or grow weary. Wouldn't it be terrible if God grew weary of us? Wouldn't that be awful? That he might say, I am, I am fed up with you, Stephen. I am weary of you. I am weary of this and that and the way you get on. It would be understandable in some ways, and to be honest, it would be very justifiable in my case. And if we're all honest, there's a sense in which we grow weary of God. No, I know your word says that, but I don't want to do it. You're very demanding. My soul, my life, my all, that's a bit much. I can give you Sunday, and that's about it. What is God like? He, he does not faint or grow weary. He doesn't tire in that he doesn't go to sleep. 
But he also doesn't tire in that he doesn't tire of us. Even when we think we're about to drop into the abyss, he's there. He doesn't grow weary. He doesn't get sick of you and say, oh, go on, I've had enough. Instead, he picks you up, picks me up and says, here's some power. Here's some strength. You're, you're not going to get through this without me. He comes to weaklings like us and gives us his power and strength. Well, why is it that instead of falling into the abyss, you're still a Christian? Well, why is it that in your worst moments, when you've come within inches of walking away from it all, that you've turned and come back? Let me tell you a secret. It's because of him, not you. He does not faint or grow weary. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. This is the reality for those of us who believe. It's not because we're strong. It's because of who he is. What a deeply theological passage this is. What a deeply theological chapter this is. There are depths that would take you all of our lives, even longer, to plumb and mine and understand Yet there's simplicity in that God is revealing himself to us by, by telling us who he is. And it's all wonderfully pastoral as well. The, the one who created the light of 10,000 stars can shine his light even in the darkest of places. The, the, the Lord is the one who keeps us going and he doesn't tire of us. He doesn't grow weary of us. Despite the fact we've rebelled, despite the fact we've turned from him, despite the fact we've said, I know best and I'm in charge, he's faithful to us. And compassionate toward us. Now it's Christmas. And we haven't really talked about Christmas. Where are the shepherds? Where are the angels? Where's the little baby in the manger? Well the stunning thing about Christmas. Is that the little baby born in the manger. Is the eternal son. Of the one spoken of in Isaiah 40. What is it that Paul says in Colossians 1. About Jesus. He says this. He says he is the image. Of the invisible God. He's the image of the invisible God. In other words, he is God come down among us. In other words, the baby born at Christmas is eternal and everlasting. He's the creator of everything, the word who was there in the beginning. He's always at work, even now, even today. And he's wise beyond measure. His understanding and his answers are amazing. Therefore, if all of those deeply theological things are true of Jesus Christ then all of the wonderfully pastoral things we've talked about are true of him as well. He's the one who knows the name of every star, and he's also the one who knows the number of hairs on our head. He's the one who keeps us going. He's the one who doesn't tire of us or grow weary. And instead of us becoming tired and weary of this sinful world and our sinful hearts, what does he say to us? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We can go to him. We can rest in him. We can trust in him. We can wait on him. So, so, so some of you are here today and, and you don't know him. You come to church, sure. You go to church events, great. But, but it's not enough. In some ways, I kind of admire your bravery. It's maybe a strange thing to say, but I, I admire your bravery because I, I honestly don't know how you do it. 
Because so many of us here today regularly say, almost on a daily basis, I, I, I do not know how people get through this life without the Lord. In other ways, though, your, your foolishness saddens me and others too. How is it you think you can cope without him? Or why do you think he's going to say, well, okay, you're not that bad? There's no not that bad category. It's either you know him or you don't. You trust him or you don't. You love him or you're, you don't. You're a Christian or you're not. Well, what is it you need to know or realize? Ultimately, it will be God by his spirit speaking to you and causing you to turn and repent of your sin. But you should read this chapter again and look at who is calling you to trust him. It's the wise and watchful creator, the immense and active Lord, the only God. And at this time of year, we celebrate and give thanks for the mystery of his coming in the person of the Lord Jesus. The one spoken of here has come so that you might know him. So will you come to him? Will you bow before him? Will you trust him for the first time? Well, what we've seen in our studies, our three studies on this chapter, is that it contains God's message of comfort. The occasion for the message is the failure and sin of God's people. The content of the message is that God will save them and rescue them. The question God's people had was, can he keep the promises he makes? The resounding answer is yes. But does he really want to? Does he really want to keep his promises and rescue and comfort his people? And again, the answer comes back, yes. Yes, because a God that does not want to is not a God at all. Isaiah 40 tells us that the awesome God has, has stepped down into time and history and tells us to cast our all upon him. And if we will, he will keep us all the way to the end and through the end because Jesus has lived and died and risen again and because he has promised to do so. And the promises he makes, he keeps. So we can trust him if we're believers. We can rest in him. We can wait on him. But if you haven't already, will you come to him this Christmas? Will you trust him for the first time this Christmas? As we finished in our first study, so we finish our final one like this. The chapter starts with comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. The question you've got to deal with and answer as this short series comes to an end, if you're not a Christian, is will you receive tidings of comfort and joy from God through his son Jesus this Christmas? What a deeply theological chapter this is. What a wonderfully pastoral chapter it is as well. And what comfort and joy it brings us this Christmas. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. It doesn't fade away. It doesn't wither. It stands forever. And just as those Babylonian exiles read it over 2,000 years ago, so we read it and are comforted and helped by the rich, deeply theological truths contained in it. How we thank you that the God spoken of here has, has come among us. How we thank you for Jesus. How we thank you for our Savior, how we thank you for this time of year when we can recall how you have come to save us. Lord, help us to wait on you and may we mount up on wings like eagles. Help us to walk and not grow weary, to run 
and to know your power and strength. Father, be with us this Christmas time as those of us who know and love you. And we also pray for those who haven't yet trusted in the Savior. We, we pray that they might receive tidings of comfort and joy this Christmas for the first time. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.